0: Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Paul told the Philippians that Jesus, the promised Messiah, had been highly exalted and given a name which is above every name. Amen? Amen? It is above every name right now. Given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should do what? Bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord today, and what David had faith in for in Psalm 18, we are living in that time that he had faith for. Psalm 18 said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, and the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried to my God, and he heard my voice out of his holy temple. And my cry came before him even in his ears. The earth shook and trembled and the foundations of the hills were moved and shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire of his mouth was devoured and coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon the cherub and he did fly, yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place, his pavilion, and about him were dark waters and thick clouds and skies. The brightness that was before him, the thick clouds that passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, and the stones and the coals of fire. And yea, he sent out his arrows, he scattered them, he shot lightnings out and discomfited them. And then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, as the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters, and he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also in a large place, and he delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was upright before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight." With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou shalt show thyself froward. For he will save the afflicted, but will bring down those with high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God, will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. And for God, his way is perfect, the Lord... The word of the Lord has been tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust Him. For who is God, save the Lord, and who is a rock, save our God? Is He that grindeth me, and girdeth me with strength, and maketh me my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet, and He setteth me upon high places, and He teaches my hands to war, so that the bow of steel is broken in my arms. Thou hast given me thy shield for thy salvation, thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet do not slip. Therefore I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises to thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. Let us pray. Lord God, as David prayed, he prayed a prayer for the coming Messiah. For it was only the Messiah who was pure and who was clean and who was sinless. And Lord, you sent Jesus, your anointed servant, to live a sinless life before us. And we know what they did to him. We know that they killed him. And Lord, we know that your judgment came on all the earth as a result. Lord, I pray today as we gather, Lord, that we would be your people bringing your kingdom into this world, celebrating your lordship over all things. Lord, that we would first and foremost understand your lordship over our lives in every sphere of it. Lord, that your lordship would be proclaimed in every corner of our life when we rise up and lie down and walk by the way and when we sit in our house. Lord, I pray that as we come before you asking your forgiveness for our sins, we know you will forgive us. Lord, we know as we gather in your presence, we long to hear your voice and we know you will speak to us. Change us by your words as you changed the void world and you made it into something beautiful. Make something beautiful out of us today. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said. Amen. Standing for just a few more moments as I read for you my text. My sermon today is Thy Kingdom Come, with a question mark at the end. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Matthew 24, 1 says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as soon as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we dive into Matthew chapter 24, I pray you would just light it up for us, that you would illuminate the words of it so that we can understand what you were saying to the people that were there, and so that maybe we can understand what you would have to say to the people here about this. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now if that sounds familiar, what I read for you today, it should because it was our New Testament reading last week, Andy read for us, and it's also a parallel passage from the message I preached last week from uh, Luke chapter 21. Um, One good thing about things like This is that we have the other Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? What are Matthew, Mark, and Luke called? I've been trying to teach you this for 82 weeks. They're called the synoptics. Uh, And what you're going to hear uh, me talk about from Matthew 24 is also in Luke 21, and it's in the book of Mark, and I I don't have right in front of me which chapter, but uh, part of it is also in Mark. It's not in John, though, okay? So... This is on the subject of Jesus' uh, constant conversation. What was Jesus always talking about? He was always talking about the kingdom of God. I had some people come over to my house and go, we want to know what this kingdom is. I even had someone go, hey, what what is the kingdom? You know, they're talking about it in their home this week. What's What's this kingdom? What is it? Okay? And so we're going to talk a little bit more about what it is, and we're going to talk about... Uh, what it means for you now? I'll try to give you a simpler explanation. That I have uh, either actually a more complicated explanation. You guys ready for a more complicated explanation? Some people say, "Well, what's the kingdom?" Oh, it's me. Okay. Well, the kingdom is is me, but it's it's not me. Okay. The kingdom is not you. The kingdom is us. Everybody say, "The kingdom is us." The kingdom is us. And the kingdom is not us, as in my family. The kingdom is not us, as in our nation. The kingdom is us as in what? As in the... It's in the church. All right? Now, I'm going to try to give you this picture. I actually didn't plan to do this in my sermon, but since I had some more questions about it today, I will give you a piece of it. So I'm down there at the Citizens for Community Values, and I don't know that this guy's a post-mill guy, and he starts talking, and I don't really believe in... uh, I don't think that we should have parachurch ministries do you guys know what parachurch ministries are parachurch ministries are ministries that spring up that are not out of a church somewhere they're just an organization and when i say i don't believe in them what i'm saying is is that i don't think that they are the best way everybody say the best way but sometimes you have to do what is not the best way because the best way isn't being done does that make any sense So you go, well, I'm a purist, I don't believe in them, we're not going to have any part of them. Well, you might not, and that could be your choice. I don't believe like that. All right, if we have horrible drug problems, the church should be addressing them. But is the church addressing them? Everybody say, the church is not addressing them. We have a horrible problem with poverty. Is the church addressing poverty? Everybody say, the church is not really addressing poverty. We have a horrible problem that people don't take care of their parents and their grandparents anymore. They put them somewhere else. So wherever the church is not doing its job, what happens is things spring up to do their job. Now the thing that springs up to do its job that's so ugly is the government. Right? So when the government decides to take care of poor people, what happens is the church is not taking care of poor people. So the government does. And how does the government use your money? Do they do a really good job of that? You know, they build humongous buildings and they pay exorbitant salaries and they do terrible things. They send checks to people, all right, uh, that they've never met, that they don't know, that they support their entire life, that they've never met. We'll hear all, you know, there was $500 million that was wasted. You're like, oh, that's really bad. I mean, $500 million? Or a billion dollars? Or a trillion dollars? All of this money's being spent trying to do what the church could do. If the church would do it, all right? And so there's a lot of work to be done in the world that can't be done through like a parachurch ministry. So I was there with Aaron, and I'm like, now, I said the sad thing about Citizens for Community Values is it's not a church ministry. And he's like, you're right. Now, he's saying you're right because he believes like we do. Because the problem is, is that who is Aaron Bear accountable to? Who are his elders? Who tells him what to do? Now he happens to go to a church, but he didn't have to go to his church. Some some churches might be like your parents, you know. Some of your parents are like, oh, you know, uh, well, you know, hey, just marry whoever you want. You'll probably pick somebody good. They don't get involved. They don't help you, right? They don't take that role. They're, oh, y'all, you know what? It'll work out, Amy. Just go do whatever, you know. Go meet somebody or or do whatever, right? So when the, when, the, when the family isn't doing the job, somebody else ends up doing it, or you do it yourself. And, and how does that, that work for you when you have no help, right? It's bad. So then the church ends up trying to help, and th- the way things are supposed to be is not how they are. Everybody say, the way things are supposed to be is not how they are. So, Steve, you, you, you know how, if the kingdom came the way that we want it to, you know what there would be? There would be thousands of churches across the line where people submitted to their elders and when people you know moved from one area to the other the elders would go hey can you tell me about that person how can I serve them and how can I love them what have they been doing and if they had there were poor people in their church you know what they would do? they would take care of those poor people and if they had parents that needed to be taken care of you know who would take care of them with the government and social security and billions of dollars in programs of money that's being spent by bureaucrats would that be happening? No, because these things can be dealt with on their... How do we know we should do this? Well, the Bible says we should take care of our widows, right? Right? What was the early church doing? They were taking care of their widows. In fact, they said people that don't do that are worse than infidels. So the church today is worse than an infidel when it comes to how we're supposed to care for the poor and the needy and our relatives and all kinds of things. But if the church was was what it will be, okay, it will be this, Steve, now not in our lifetime, it isn't going to happen. Our job is to keep moving the ball. Our job is to keep saying, all right, we're going to establish Foundation Church, and we're going to raise people. In fact, while I'm sitting here thinking about this, I'm like, you know what? I'm not teaching my children like they need to be taught for the kingdom come. Now you might go, "Well, well, how can that be? I mean, if Mark's not doing it. Well, you know what? Everyone ought to be going, we need to be training our children. We need to be preparing them to teach their children. We need to be, This is important. It's not about so they can get out and get a job. Are we training them to be the kingdom of God here on earth, come to earth, so that they and their children and their children's children will establish good, godly, solidly biblical, living out Christ families and churches? And I'm telling you, if that happened, how do you think crime would be? How do you think divorce would be? How do you think poverty would be? These things. It would be like in the scriptures. Every man had what they, they no, no man lacked. Because people gave to them and they had need. Do you see what I'm saying? All of the things that are wrong, that are horribly wrong in the society that we live in, in the, the, the nation, the government, these problems will all be solved. They won't be solved from a top down. This new bill, and I'm getting real political today, House Bill 512, whatever it is. And you say you know, you're, you know, you, in your prayer you weren't sure if it was, it was wrong. Let me, let me tell you how we know it's wrong, okay? When the government takes responsibility for what we should be taking responsibility, and they take more responsibility than they did before, this is not good, okay? Not only is it bad to send away our kids for someone else who we don't know, and we don't know how they live, and we don't know what their morals are to teach whatever the government wants them to teach, What's even worse is then to take those government schools out of the jurisdiction of the local families that live there and put it to a governor who never met him, never came to the state. And now, you know, as long as the, if the king were Jesus, that would be great, right? It's like in the church, if, as long as I'm here, as long as, you know, until they roll me out of here or whatever, uh, it would be okay if I was a dictator... If I was a really nice dictator okay you know like I'm really kind and I'm really sweet and I care about the people here but if you so the next guy he's not nice like me and I'm not necessarily saying I'm that nice but what I'm saying is is dictators are only good when they're good dictators when a bad dictator comes in if he's got all that power he can do horrible things so when you take all the power and you consolidate it in Columbus you know at the governor's mansion The next governor gets elected and and, and it just moves wherever he goes. We need to be governed by the rule of law and we need to take care of ourselves. These are very biblical principles. That's what the kingdom of God is, Steve. So, can it come tomorrow? No. Is it going to come next week? No. Is it going to come in 20 years? No, probably not. But it's coming incrementally, slowly. It's happening and there will be a day where the things that we live at, they will look back on and they will go, people lived how? people did what? you mean well what about this what about their churches and what and and, and it, they won't be able to imagine what it would be like to, to like drive all over the place and you can't find a church that'll preach the Word of God that'd be silly there'll be one everywhere. there'll be faithful leaders everywhere. there will be people, churches will be working together there won't be this huge division where we don't even know the name of this pastor, and we don't know how they live, and they get you know, their job hired through monster.com rather than being raised up from the people in the church living godly lives. Do you understand this? This is what the kingdom is, and we're a part of it. Now, we have to live like we believe that that's what's going on, and what's happening is that the church as, as a whole nationally... They don't believe that, and so it's like, well, we're just going to, we're going to reach the lost in our area, and we're going to do our thing. Well, if, you, if you're not thinking long term, if you're not building long term, if you're not planning long term, you're not going to accomplish things. Okay, so that's the kingdom. Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom. That's what he was talking about, Steve. He's saying, one day, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth like the water covers the sea. No one will need to come and ask anybody, have you heard about the Lord? And say, because everyone will have heard about Him already. No one will have to say, don't you know about this wonderful saving grace? Oh, well, yeah, I've heard about that already. That's Jesus Christ. Everyone will know. There won't need to be infomercials and televangelists and Joyce Myers and, you know, Joel Osteen's 20,000. They won't show up. Just like the Colosseum. They're just not there. Why? Because they got something better. They figured something else out. From his opening readings in the temple, which we read from Isaiah 61, where Jesus says this in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. But I say the the poor. Just in case you think the poor are our responsibility, the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Just in case you thought the brokenhearted were not our responsibility, they are. To preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. If we, if you remember in the song, God hates robbery. He hates injustice. He hates judges that sit up there and make rulings based on what they think. He hates people that rob and cheat people. He hates buy here, pay here. He hates payroll advance companies that charge you, you know, they'll give you your money, but they're going to shaft you. God hates all of that because it's thieves and steals from us and erodes at society. God hates all those things. One day there will be justice. One day there will be equity. One day there will be financial responsibility. These things will come when? When the kingdom comes and God's will is done in every area of our lives. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book talking about the acceptable year of the Lord. What is this year of the Lord? What is this about? The year of the Lord is the day that the Lord of hosts comes in human form in a man. And he is king. Now, I didn't actually mean to share. You know, who knows how far we're going to get today. But I just had something I want to share with you. So you go, well, Jesus is Lord, but He's not Lord. I mean, you don't go down to, to Bubba's you know, IGA and Jesus is Lord over there, right? It's, it's not going to be... You don't go down to the whatever, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood and walk in the front door and, hey, Jesus is Lord here. and, and they're, they're, It's not so, right? Everybody say, already, but not yet. <laughs> now, we have precedent for this in Scripture. And sometimes we miss in the stories of Scripture things like this. So do you guys remember when Israel became a nation... Do you remember that God told them? You, you, they said, we want a king like the other nations. And God says, no, you don't. And, and they said, yes, we do. And God gave them what they asked for, right? Remember that? So God gives them King Saul. Do you know how long King Saul lasted as king? Anybody know? 40 years. How many know when God rejected him as king? How long was he a king when God rejected him as king and David was anointed? Anybody know? It happened the first year to King Saul became king, and before the first year was up, God had already rejected him and anointed David king over Israel. But was he king yet? Everybody say, no, he was not. And in fact, it was 39 more years before David was on the throne. So we have the already, but not yet, right? So King Saul, he's king. He kind of represents kind of like Adam, right? Adam and his race are in charge, but God's already anointed Christ king, just like David, but he's already, but not yet. Do you see how this is happening? There's a period of time where God's king, the king that God, the man after God's own heart, that was going to be a king like He wanted men to be king. He was anointed king, and for all those years, he wasn't king yet. It was a progression. God gives us a picture of this in the life of King Saul and King David. Okay, so all the way from his beginning in, Matt, in, in, in Luke four, when He says, "The year of the Lord," this year of the Lord is the coming of the king. Okay? The king came. And remember, and he, he comes in and royal, he's riding, we're going to, you know, we're about to be on this good, this good fright, or, you know, he comes in, he's, he's riding in as king, right? So he was there. He, he got anointed king. His anointing, though, was what? They, that they killed him. Nevertheless, he was anointed king. Even though they, yeah, they put a crown on his head. It was to mock him, but he, 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 that was his crown to wear. See, that was the kind of king he was going to be. All the way to the end of his earthly ministry when he tells everybody, now that he's dead, and now that he's risen from the dead, that all power is given unto him. Now, we think of this in the sense of like spiritual power or whatever. No, he said all authority. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm king right now. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Everybody say it. Everybody say Everybody say And because all power is given to me in heaven and in... We need to go into all the... And preach the gospel of what's the good news? The good news is we have a new king. The old kings, they kill you when they don't like you. The old kings waste our money. The old kings raise our taxes. The old kings let their buddies be judges and rule against you and take your land. That's what the old king does. But you know what the new king does? New King Jesus doesn't do that. So people have complaints about how bad everything is. Go, oh yeah, I know. Because the other king's still around. Saul's still around. And until he's removed, he's just going to be there. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore in all the world and make disciples of all nations. What was going... He's saying, we're going to take what we've got and we're going to spread it everywhere... They need to know that I'm the king. And you might go, well, that's what the kingdom is? Yeah, that is, that's, the, that's what the kingdom is. It's as simple as that. His kingdom would not be like other kings. It would not come as they had come. And it would not end like theirs all end. They all end. Every one of them. Jesus was always talking about because of their lack of understanding about what he meant And a return of this ignorance today, much of the Christian church is directionless. They don't know this. They think that its world's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. And Christ's reign is going to get less. And when it's really, really bad, all of a sudden he's going to be driving his ATT van, and one day he's going to fly out of it, and his van's going to go off the road and drive through a trailer park. That's what they believe. And they believe that, you know, we'll be, you know, people will go and they'll knock on the Robinette's door and the power company will turn and they'll, where are they gone? They're gone. Wow. And there'll be empty houses all over the United States and it's going to be incredible. And then horrible, terrible things are going to happen. The world's going to explode and the mark of the beast and people are getting numbers on their head. But then we got a second chance of maybe making it to heaven if we decide to die. This is what, this is what is taught in most of our churches today. We're gonna instantly be transported like Star Trek, you know, teleported up and we're gonna fly in the air and our our clothing even, have you guys even seen, our clothes are even gonna fall on the ground. Can you imagine the windfall of the thrift stores at this time? (laughs) Millions of people and especially homeschooling families. This is what they teach and this is what they believe. Now, if you believe like that, how, are you going to live? Diff- do you think you would live differently if you think that's what's happening? But what if you were told, oh, do you know the kingdom is coming and God's going to will be done and, and the knowledge of the Lord is going to get more and the governing of the Lord is going to get more and if you want to get in on it, you, if, you know, like you, you want to get in on it, I'm glad you're a you know, Harrisburg guy, but, you, but before you're a Harrisburg guy, you're a, you're, you're, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God under King Jesus Ooh. and if that means you get steamrolled you know like that guy in China if you remember that guy in China you guys see that he's standing up against the government and they pull up the tank and he's defying it and they just run him over you guys remember that horrible years ago but he's going to stand against them well they just run him over All of us seem to understand we were born in sin, that the world was doomed to death because of Adam's sin. We seem to understand that something needed to be done in order to get us to go to heaven. And we all agree that we're sinners, all Christians do, that we need a Savior to get to heaven. But where we disagree most, and where most don't understand, is what are we supposed to do right now? And imagine if what you're supposed to do right now is just kind of figure it out, just endure, just make it, just survive, just don't get run over by a bus, just... Just kind of, you know what, it's horrible, just kind of, you know, in fact, the worse it gets, the quicker Jesus is going to come. So why would you want to correct or fix anything? You wouldn't. Passages like, we are strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, they should, we take them allegorically. Oh, well, we're not citizens of America, we're citizens of God. Well, as a citizen of America, what do you do? You sign up for jury duty, right? Right. And you vote, right? And you pay your taxes, right? And you get your driver's license, and if you leave the country, you get a passport. We know what to do as citizens of the United States, but what do we do as citizens of the world? Well, as citizens of the church, how do we live? We make Jesus Lord in our homes, but we also treat the church as though it really is what God says it is, which is what? It is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and Paul reaffirms this in Ephesians 5, that we are not to live out our days on this earth like those who don't know this. He says, do not walk like the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. They're blinded. They have no idea. They don't understand that it's going to get better. They don't understand that the kingdom of Christ is going to crush all of their kingdoms. They don't understand that all of their temples of worship are going to be empty. They don't know it. Well, we know it. That's why we should be building churches that are going to last for five hundred years. Why? Because they, they should, if we spend the time building them properly in our in the reality we live in, not just the physical construction. He tells us that we are to to to, to live right now, seeking first the kingdom. You look at your, Are you seeking your family? In your life, in your job, in your career, are you spending more time thinking about that or about the kingdom that is never going to go away? Robinets, they're probably going to go away. Hatfields, they probably will go away at some point. Foisies, whatever. Maybe, we, maybe God will allow us to live, right? But I'll tell you, I know for one fact, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God and what God started with the church, he's going to complete. That's what the kingdom of God is. We like to think when we hear scriptures like that, that he's going to finish what he started. That means that I'm going to make it to heaven. And it does mean that, but it means so much more than that. We don't have to live our day-to-day worrying about food and clothing and shelter. That's what they do. They live their whole life worried about their 401Ks and their retirement plans and, and what they're going to do and how they can play shuffleboard in Florida. That's what they are doing. That's not what we are doing. Seek ye First, okay, we're to seek, we're to you know care about things, but we're to seek first. Somebody say, seek first. First. You know, imagine if every decision we made was predicated on how is this relate to the kingdom of God, not how does this work out for me, how does it work out for my family, how's this going to work out for my future? What if we thought how is this going to affect the expansion of God's kingdom through me? Imagine if our decisions went through that process what kind of decisions would we make so much in the scriptures can be misunderstood because readers miss the distinction between heaven and the kingdom of God we are not and we could Never go all of these scriptures today, but just understand there's a really lot. So, so you read the Bible, and every time you read the kingdom of God, you think it's heaven. You miss so much of what the Bible's saying. So you gotta, we got to stop looking at it that way, okay? So if this concept were not so misunderstood today, I wouldn't have to take 15 minutes of the opening sermon talking about this before we even get to our text. But I have to because even in my own home, I'm asking Gideon what he thinks about it. He's been taught this his whole life, but somehow... Just through being around other Christians, these other thoughts are in his mind, too. Oh, yeah, the rapture, Dad. He knows all about it. I was like, how did that happen? Same way he found out about angry birds, probably. I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes we've thought something for such a long time that when we hear it a different way, we think that we're being led down a path. Like, we're kind of worried. Like, is he trying to trick me? Like, like... You know, is this one of these deals where you read the Bible and you have to be an expert and hold it sideways and 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 then only they can see it? No, no, it's the opposite. If if the way that I came to understand this was, I decided that I wanted to pretend I'd never that I just was never told anything about this, and I'm just going to look at it and just read it and see if I could come up with what they thought it meant by reading it. And I read, I'm like, how could you do that? How could you build? You have to be an expert's expert, insane, crazy person with 500 different points on your graph to come up with the doctrine that most people teach today. Okay? The one that that I'm trying to say that I would like you to consider and that I believe the Bible teaches is very simple. Okay? There was an old covenant. And now there's a new covenant. The new covenant initiated the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the church on earth today. It will overtake the entire earth. And at the end of it, at the consummation of all things, Jesus will come and judge the world. And we're done. That's it. That's your whole, that's it. Pretty good? You like that? Now there's some details in there, but that's it. This other one says, well, any moment, any second, and they've been believing this for however, tomorrow, in five minutes, on the way to church, we're going to fly through the sky and we're all going to be left and then there's going to be a great tribulation and there's going to be the mark of the beast and there's going to be this thing and, all. And, there's like so, and, you're, and you go through and you're like where did they get that? and if you read the Bible you're not going to come up with that there are scriptures that give you certain concepts that if you project those concepts onto here you'll, you'll be hearing them as you're reading but they don't belong there okay? I hope that's not too complicated. I'm going to try to delve into this a little bit. It's a really big subject, bigger than I really was thinking it would be. Uh, Can you guys hang with me for just a little bit? And we'll jump, uh, because we haven't even got to the text. I'm sorry. All right. Now, if you're wondering that, you know, is he leading me down the garden path to some weird way of thinking, then I would suggest you in your home, if you can do it, get your Bible out and start reading in Matthew chapter 21, and read all three chapters before you get to Matthew 24 because Matthew 24 is where they get some of these doctrines from but to understand you've got to read Matthew 21, 22, and 23 because Jesus is talking a lot during these chapters that have to do with what he's talking, going to talk about in Matthew 24 okay? In Matthew 21, if you remember, we just heard it just a few minutes ago, Jesus told the Pharisees, right? Hear the parable of the household. Remember? He has a vineyard he goes away, he sends people to take care of it, they beat them, they stone them, he says, oh, I'm going to send my son, uh, they'll listen to him, and they kill the son, this is a pretty plain parable, right, and, and, he, and, and, and they're like, and the Pharisees, oh, he should kill these people, um, remember they said this, they said, the Pharisee says, oh, well, what, what's he going to do when he comes back after they kill his son? verse 41 of 21 he says they will miserably destroy these wicked men and then jesus basically tells them you're those guys and they don't like that right you're the people that are doing this i am the son and oh no now they're right he does this in all the way back in 21 right he tells them whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken whosoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder jesus is this is not a theology of i'm going to lose Okay, Some of you don't like Donald Trump. Uh, we don't have to get into him, but I like Donald Trump going, we, the United States will grind you into powder. We will annihilate you from the face of the earth. Okay, Now he's saying that, and maybe we, we can or we can't. But when Jesus says it, it's real. I'm the rock, and if you want to uh, resist me, yeah, you can reject me, but I'm going to break you and grind you into powder. Jesus is... Got some, some serious, you know, gravitas here. And um, that's what he's telling them. They didn't like it. In 22, he does it again. G- in, in chapter 20, Jesus said the parable is like this. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a king made a marriage for his son. Can you start to see the analogies here? He said 22. But the people he wanted to come, they wouldn't come. And it made him very angry. Okay? So Jesus came into his own. His own would not receive him, Right? And so he sent servants saying, come on, come on, come on. And he goes, and then people came who weren't supposed to come. God's mad at them. Verse 7, he destroyed those murderers and he burned their city. Does this start to sound like Jesus is telling these parables in a row to get, make a point in their mind? Absolutely. These people that didn't come, these people that wouldn't come, these people that totally disrespected his son, these evil murderers, he's going to burn their city. Okay? And you can read about it in 22. Um, he, he gets down to verse 13. He casts someone in outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, Jesus would call these people, come unto me, and they wouldn't come. Okay? So you can't do 21 and 22 without coming to 23. 23 is where Jesus calls the Pharisees so many names that it's hard to keep track. In fact, we would not recommend our children be like Jesus here. Okay? I mean, could you imagine walking into your kid's bedroom and one of your friends says, You know, you're a viper and a serpent and a twofold child of hell. You're a widened sepulchre. You're just like your father, the devil. Like, like, how many would like it if your kids were talking to each other like this? Nobody would like this, right? He told them that their converts were twofold. I don't even know what a twofold child of hell is, but apparently. You know, this is, a, this is a rough deal, right? By far the most scathing rebuke of any people in the Bible, verse by verse, it gets worse and worse as the woes keep adding up. Woe to you blind guides. Woe to you hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites over and over and over and over. I mean, if someone called me a hypocrite once, it would hurt. But he goes, you're a hypocrite. Let me tell you what. You devour widows' houses hypocrites here you are you're unjust you hypocrites here you are you like to sit in the best seats you hypocrites and he's scathing them and he's yelling and, and, and this is really really rough this is not one of these things what would jesus do we don't want to do this to the people but jesus could do this to them and once he gets to a fever pitch in Matthew 23, verse 33, he says, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues. And, and he says in verse 35, Upon you, everybody say, upon you, upon you, may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Jesus is now pronouncing a curse. Okay? on these people now you might go well you know this is a actual curse by jesus on them upon you is going to come all of god's wrath and judgment for all the bad things the jews have done in the entire old testament until now and he's the way he says it's from the blood of righteous abel right abel hadn't done anything wrong and cain killed him from abel's blood all the way To where they killed Zacharias between the porch and the altar. And you might go, well, why did they list those? Zacharias was the last book of the Old Testament in the way the Jews had the books arranged. So he's saying from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, all of the unrighteous, ungodly, heathenistic, uh, good, you know, all these horrible things you've done to the good people I sent you, that judgment's going to come on you. These people that were right there in his face, you, you're going to get it. Verily I say unto you, he says in verse 36, all these things shall come upon this. Everybody say this generation. This generation. So Jesus was pretty much blasting them and promising them that the judgment that had been waiting. You know, if you read the scripture, you know, David will ask him. He'll ask, how long, O oh Lord, will you wait? How long are evil men going to be evil? How long? How long? Well, we know the answer. How long? Jesus pronounced it. This generation. This generation is about to be judged. This generation is about to get all the judgment from all the other generations like no one's ever gotten it before. Having said all this, we come to Matthew 24. Can you see the buildup? 21, 22, 23. Whoa. Hypocrites. Judgment. Fire. Brimstone. Bad things. So the disciples are a little shell-shocked by this, and they come out of the temple, he'd just been blasting them, blasting these Pharisees so bad, I can't even imagine being one of the disciples at this point, walking with them. So they're like, aren't these buildings pretty? <laughs> now, if you know, if you learn history, Herod had just completed the construction of the temple, and the buildings were gorgeous. And for you history people, Herod built so many incredible, beautiful things during his lifetime, He built Masada up on that mountain. He built a thing to all... Remember we talked about recently that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those guys and Joseph are all buried in this place. He made a beautiful monument for them in the cave uh, there in Shechem. I mean, Herod did great things and he built these... And they're like, look at these. And Jesus looks at them and he says, oh yeah, not one stone is going to be left upon another of these buildings right here. Now, if you're his disciple, Luke, what are you thinking about now? Like, Like you were thinking... We'll take over and we'll have all this new construction we can move right into. This is going to be great. You know, like, no, like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that. I mean, Jesus is like, we're going to wipe it off the face of the earth. We don't build on another man's foundation. We're going to wipe it off the face of the earth and I'm going to be the new foundation. This is what Jesus is saying. and They're like, holy mackerel. Verse 2, Jesus said, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they walk outside the city, about two miles walk, and they go up on the Mount of Olives. It's two miles just east of the city. And in Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is kind of a high place, and you can look down over the city of Jerusalem. And from where Jesus was, he was looking over it all. It was like, you know, Jerusalem is below, the temple's below. He's up on the mountain, and they're looking down, and they come up to him, and they're like, uh, they come to him kind of privately. Tell us when these things are going to happen. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, I was asking get it in the car on the way here, like, can you tell me about the end of the world? He's like, oh, yeah, it's definitely going to end. It's going to be bad, you know. I know it's coming, Dad. You say it's coming. I don't know. You know I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean I say the end of the world's coming? What, you know, the end of the world. Everyone's talking about that. You know, there's meals and doomsday preppers and all these things. It's coming, man. It's all, you know, the whole world, we're going to blow it all. It's going to be the end. Folks, that's foolishness. That's not going to happen. But it sounds like Jesus is talking about the end of the world, right? Because that's what it says in the King James, the end of the world, right? Isn't that what it says? Didn't I just read that? Tell us about the end of the world. That's what they want to know about. The problem is is that it says that in the King James, but that's not really the word. And if you read the ESV and the NIV, it's a whole other word. We'll get to that in just a second. So first look at the question they ask. As we cover in Luke 17, their general question was when. Everybody say When. When is this going to happen? Now, if you had just heard what Jesus had said, no doubt you would be asking when too. But when we look at the words used here to ask the question, this is where it's easy to get distracted from what's been going on and what Jesus had already said. Jesus had told them this generation was going to be judged. He told them that the son of the king would come, they would kill the son of the king, and that God would pour out his wrath on them. He told them it was going to happen to them in their lifetime It was going to happen right then. So, it's one question, but it looks like three. When will all these things be? Okay? That's the first thing they ask. This is where we can look back. What things were they talking about? What were these things? Remember they had just showed Jesus the buildings of the temple. What things were going to come to pass? The destruction of the temple. When are these stones going to be knocked down? Right? By way of emphasis, showing that they... We're now understanding what Jesus was talking about. They asked this, what shall be the sign of thy coming? Will there be a sign that comes just before it? Okay? So they wanted to know, in general, when's this going to happen? But then they wanted to know specifically. Okay? So it's kind of like, do you remember the example I gave last week? It's like, when am I grown up, Dad? Kid asked. when am I grown up? It's like, well, it's not going to happen on an exact certain day. It's something that happens gradually, over time, you know? But there is a time when we celebrate a child growing up, right? So there was an in general answer, and then there is a specific answer. And so Jesus gives a general answer saying that it's going to happen in this generation. But then they want to know, is there an immediate answer to the exact time where certain events are going to take place? And then he narrows it down to something very specific that happens on the very day that that something big happens in the world, okay? And what they call the end of the world, all right, in the King James English, okay? The third part, the end of the world, it's part two of the second question. Often seen as the third question, but it's really just part two of the same thing. This word used is aeon, and aeon means age. If you have an ESV Bible, you can look it up. What is the, tell us about the end of the age, okay? What age was going to come to an end? Think about it. How had God dealt with mankind for 4,000 years? You guys remember this? He's got his people that follow him, right? He establishes a kingdom. He gives the law and they're governed and they become a nation. And those people for all this time were serving him, right? They were offering sacrifice in the temple and they had priests and they had all that. But that was going to come to an end because those people didn't do right, right? They rejected him, they didn't want him, and God was going to open it up. So what we're talking about is the end of an age, and the age is the age of Judaism, the age of the old covenant. So out with the old and in with the new. And so the out with the old and in with the new is a already but not yet. So it gets instituted before, you know, here Christ is coming and he's dying on the cross, he's raising from the dead, but still Judaism is practiced in the temple for years and years and years. In fact, for 40 more years or thereabouts, you know, 30-some years, they are practicing Judaism. They are offering sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem after Jesus had already been offered the perfect sacrifice. And people were living by the law, being governed by the law, and they just continued on life as Jews, just like nothing had happened, as though Jesus had never come. This was happening. But that all came to an abrupt end on one day. And it's never, ever started up ever again. Did you ever wonder why you meet Jewish people and they don't do the things that you would think Jewish people would do? How many would you think they would go to Jerusalem, they would have pilgrimages, they would offer up lambs, they would have a Day of Atonement? Why aren't they doing that anymore? Anybody know? Because God brought it to an end. What day did he bring it to an end? He brought it to an end in A.D. 70 at a cataclysmic, historical, unbelievable Pouring out of God's wrath on a people like the world has never seen. Millions of people died in one day. And blood ran through the streets like a stream of a river. All of this happened. And Jesus was telling you it was going to happen. And he was telling you it was going to happen in their lifetime. And guess what, guys? Everybody say, it did. it did. Now, as we go through Matthew 24, which we're not going to have time to do today, you're going to have to do this on your own. I'll work through just a few minutes of it here as, as I, before I close because I know I've been preaching for a while. That Jesus is telling them about something that's going to happen to them in their lifetime. And you'll see this as we go through this. And what has happened today is people see this as him talking about something that hasn't happened yet. And so they're waiting every day. They hear a story about Israel in the news. And they go, oh, the, this great tribulation is going to come. And it's going to be worse than the world's ever seen. It's going to be horrible. When, when the Soviet Union was in power, Paul, it was like, oh, any minute, the, the Soviet Union are going to launch nuclear weapons. And we're all going to go to a nuclear war. And then now it's the terrorists. And it's going to be ISIS. But then, well, ISIS is now gone. You know, they've, you know they killed ISIS? And you, have you guys, if you're up on the news, do you know they're all dead? There's like a few, but... Pretty much they're completely eradicated from the entire Middle East. ISIS is gone. You won't hear about it a lot in the news, but they killed them all. Okay? There's a few radicals here and there. They'll go by new names or whatever. But those kingdoms come to an end. They, no one will remember them in time. People go, well, what about all this stuff in Revelation? Remember we went over this in Revelation. What is said seven times in the book of Revelation, starting off with the very first verse? The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants those things which must shortly come to pass. Seven times. And it was written when? Right. It was written in A.D. 60 something. In Revelation. These things are about to happen. These things are about to happen. These things are about to happen. He was getting ready for them to happen. All right. I'll, can, can you guys hang with me for just a couple more minutes and I'll wrap it up? Can you guys just, Can we do it? jesus answered and said take heed that no this will help you if you just want to read literal the scripture's literal there's little pieces here that'll help you go okay all right i don't think pastor mark's leading me down a crazy path here i'm, I'm going to read what jesus said and, and, and we'll get there jesus answered take heed that no man deceive you everybody say you so this is real simple this is this is, you don't have to be a bible scholar jesus is talking to who he's talking to his disciples right he doesn't want them to be deceived. So who who's going, Who needs to worry about being deceived? Everybody say the disciples. the disciples. So this message isn't for you. It was for them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Take he, that no man d- deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you, and you shall hear. Who's going to hear? Everybody say they were going to hear. <laughs> of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet he's telling them you're going to watch this and you're going to see this but the end is not yet the end of what? everybody say the end of the age they were living in the time called the Pax Romanus, which was a very peaceful time There there were hardly no wars but toward the end of this toward AD 70 guess what started happening wars were breaking out all over the Roman Empire and they were hearing about it You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquake in different places. And people today are like, oh, we have an earthquake, or we have this volcano. Oh, this must mean the end of the world. Do you know that when Christ was crucified, what happened on the day of his crucifixion? Everybody say an earthquake. What happened on the day of his resurrection? Everybody say an earthquake. An earthquake. What happened uh, a couple days after the book of Acts? In the place where they were gathered together, they prayed, and the place was shaken. There was an earthquake. What happened when Paul and Silas were thrown in jail? What happened? There was an earthquake. The uh, historian Seneca, a Roman historian, not a Bible scholar, not a believer, a Roman historian at the time of this said... That there were so many earthquakes between A.D. 30 or uh, or A.D. 40 and A.D. 70 that it was like the entire earth was being shaken. That it was a time of incredible amount of earthquakes that it seemed that earthquakes were happening almost every day. It says that there will be earthquakes and there will be famines. If you remember, there are famines in the book of Acts. If you remember, there's a guy named Agabus who goes and he raises a big offering for uh, some people in the church who are experiencing a big famine so these things were going on all these things are the beginning of sorrows and if you look that up beginning of sorrows all you women know about this it's the beginning of birth pains he's telling them in general you'll see these things happening in general and this is the beginning of the birth pains that this event is about to happen and all of the things that we're talking about historically and biblically happened And they shall deliver you to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated. Who's going to be delivered? Everybody say the disciples. Who's going to be afflicted? Everybody say the disciples. Who's going to be killed? Everybody say the disciples. And everybody knows what happened to the disciples, right? Everybody knows they all got killed. Every one of them except John. The book of Acts begins to tell us about Stephen. And then uh, after Stephen is stoned, James the brother uh, of... Of our Lord is killed with a sword in Acts chapter 12 and on and on and on they are murdered they are killed they are tormented they are beaten just exactly like Jesus said was going to happen many shall be offended they shall betray one another shall hate one another. many false prophets shall arise Josephus said there were over 120 men who claimed to be Jesus between this period between A.D. 40 and A.D. 70 they'd come and say I am Jesus I am risen from the dead Come and follow me. 120 people did this and people believed him and they called people out to be followers of them like they did the Branch Davidians. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. God's elect will not turn their backs on God. They will remain faithful. Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto nations and then... Shall the income? Do you know there are there are religious organizations developed today that are wanting to hurry up and translate the Bible into every language because they believe once they do the last language, Jesus will have to come back and that will trigger the rapture. Do you guys know this? Now, I'm glad that they're working hard and I'm glad they're translating the Bible. They're doing stuff I'm not doing and I think it's fantastic. But they're doing it under a false premise. Do you think they can make Jesus come back by translating these languages? Everybody say they cannot. Is he going to come back like that? He is not. They're they're projecting this about something, about a scripture that's not even talking about what they think it's talking about. So the gospel preached in all the world. We're memorizing the book of Colossians. How many kids who know the book of Colossians can tell me two passages in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul said that the gospel has been preached in all the world? Come on. Oh, come on. Start quoting. Get to it. When I, when I was a Bible quizzer, that's, that's what they would do. They would ask a question, and you had to answer it. Bam! Oh, you're killing me. I know you guys know the Scripture. Colossians 1.6. Right? And again, they got... All right, we'll read it. Come on, you guys don't know it? I know you know it? How many of you have already quoted for the deacons? Have you already forgotten it? Colossians 1.6. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the aha? Wow. Uh-huh. See your Bible memorization is coming in handy, right, guys? If you can't use the word of God, memorizing is not going to help you. You have got to get it in your head. You have got to be able to go, where does it say that? Where does it say that? And your mind's got to go for it. All right. If you get to uh, the the end where we just read today, now I, it's okay if you don't um, if you don't have it yet um in your mind but at the end it says this if you continue in faith ground and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven paul says it already was so he's saying it already had been so you might not know your church history but paul traveled to italy and to rome and even as far as france and gaul preaching the word of god mark went down to egypt Uh, All our other brothers went into different parts of the world, the parts of the known world, were all reached before AD 70 by people who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus, and who died for him. They went out and they preached the gospel. They did this already. The last question, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus begins to answer the, the question about an immediate sign not a general sign like the generations getting ready to come to an end but no right like you know what am i going to see right then so he gives them something particular in verse 15 when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation okay spoken by the prophet daniel let he who hears understand that's when you'll know now how many have heard sermons and discussions and people all oh, the abomination desolation i know it's going to happen it's going to be it's going to be, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to offer like a pig in the temple and and it's going to be horrible. Come on, raise your hand if you've heard it talked about. Abomination of desolation, right? I was listening to one commentator, Tim, and he said, the abomination of desolation sounds like a WWF wrestler. <laughs> the abomination of desolation has entered the room, you know, and everyone, you know. The abomination of desolation is not, it's not a name, it's a thing, it's It's the abomination that brings about desolation, okay? God is going to, there's something that's going to happen that's going to happen right at the very end that's going to bring desolation. It's going to bring the complete destruction of the temple. I have heard and heard and heard all these crazy sermons growing up there was a guy that would come in town and by the end every kid would be like laid out up the front crying because jesus was coming back tomorrow and they weren't right with god because they had had evil thoughts and they would they would "Ah," they're crying up here and they're praying oh i want to in the rapture and they would be crying and screaming and this this would go on like half the night right honey you were at them right we could probably use a few more of that. I wish some of you kids would fall on your face and say, oh God, the kingdom is coming and I'm doing nothing about it. But I'm not going to try to scare you into it, okay? The truth is the kingdom is coming and you can sort of be left behind and not be a part of that work if you, if, unless you engage yourself to it. But what in the world is this all about? Well, that's where the synoptic gospels comes in handy. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And do you know, it's real simple, honey. If we just look, Luke tells you what it is. The abomination of desolation is when troops, when an army surrounds the city of Jerusalem. That's the abomination of desolation. That's it. Daniel mentions it three times. He talks about this. And in one of them it says, when forces can pass about the city. You can read it in Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and uh, Daniel 12.11. This is what Jesus uh, is talking about here in, uh, in Matthew 24. He says, when you see this happen, run for your life. But what is it that they were going to see? Okay. Matthew or uh, Luke 21, 20 says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know destruction is coming. Is that complicating? Do you need a whole Bible study? Just read the synoptics. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies you will know that destruction is here this is in the very same exact words that Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 you can line them up it's exactly now he doesn't say the abomination of desolation but it's if you read the passages together you'll see this is the exact answer of the question Luke 21 20 when you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies know that desolation is nigh then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst depart out. Let them not that are in the countries go into the city. For those days will be vengeance. All things are written that may be fulfilled. Okay. Daniel 11.31 uh, is, is the passage that, that talks about this uh, exact thing about the forces. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay. This is, a, this is real good advice. The city's going to be destroyed. The city is surrounded. Don't run inside the city. What's going to happen if you run inside the city and God's going to destroy the city? Right? So you see fire and brimstone coming down and you're in Sodom. Should you run in Sodom inside the gates or do you think running away from Sodom would be a good idea? Right? See, God knew the destruction he was going to bring was going to be on the city. It was going to be on the temple. It was going to be on those people. And so he tells them, get out of Dodge. Get out of town, run to the mountains. Why would he tell him to run to the mountains instead of inside the fortified city? Because he knows what he's about to do, he's going to destroy the city, just like he did in Sodom and just like he did in Gomorrah. So he says, go to the mountains. I'm almost done. You got you just give me just five more minutes, here. let him us on the top. Do not go in don't go back in the house and get a pack of bags. Run for your life. Everybody say, run for your life. He's telling the disciples who are Christians who don't want to be caught in the middle of this, there would be Christians living in Jerusalem and they're going to see uh, armies go around the city and they're going to go, you know what, we're going to hang out we're going to stay in the city. What would the Christians be doing? Oh, I think it's time to get out of, ta- out of town. As fast as humanly possible. Why? Well, because Jesus prepared us for this. Let's get out of town. And this is, the way, this is how the elect get saved. They, are, they get out of the destruction. Ha- what happened to Lot? He got out of Sodom, and what happened? He didn't get destroyed, but his wife did what? She looked back. So when he tells you about Judea, and when he talks about mountains, I mean, so we hear about the abomination of desolation on CNN where somebody offers a pick. What mountains are we going to run to, guys? Are we going to have to go to Tennessee or, or, or Colorado? Which mountains are going to be big enough for us? We don't have any mountains around here. You see, this is about them, because they have mountains to run to, we don't. This is about housetops. How many of you hang out on your housetop? Nobody. We don't have any housetops, okay? We don't live on the tops of our houses, all right? This is very local, very historical, very then. Neither let them in the field return back. No, don't go back. If you're in the field, keep running, okay? Okay. Woe to them that are with child, to them that are nursing children in those days. Pray that your flight is not in the winter. Why? He's saying, run for your life. Get out of town as fast as you can. And then he says, hopefully it won't be on the Sabbath. Now, why does he say that? Because they had a rule back then. Sabbath day's journey was a quarter mile. Not very. If it's on the Sabbath, you're in big trouble. If you can only get a quarter mile away, you're going to be in trouble. You've got to get really far away. Pray it's not on the Sabbath. For there shall be great tribulation. This is where the term the great tribulation comes from, right? This great tribulation that's getting ready to happen, right? No, it's not getting ready to happen. It already happened. Then shall there be great tribulation. Such was not since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. Aren't you guys glad to know that the great tribulation is already over and already happened and isn't going to happen to us? I'm happy. Aren't you glad God's not going to rain fire and brimstone down on America like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah and like he did in Jerusalem that day? Those days are over. You know what God's going to rain down on us? Blessings, freedom, justice. That's what God's doing. He says this, and I'll close with this because i got to close. Verse 22, Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened so if so so if the rapture is going to take place why would we care about the great tribulation being shortened how would that have to do with the elect benita the elect are already gone and the rapture already taken place why would god shorten the days for the sake of the elect because god's people will be alive and they will be living in jerusalem and they will need to run So God shortens the days of this great tribulation so that all the church people don't get killed in the middle of it. And you go, well, God's judgment. You know, we miss out on this. You know, God is not worried about things like we are. And I know this may sound really, uh, really odd for you to deal with. Okay? did you know that God Well, sometimes we get caught in the middle of God's judgment? Oh, well, how can that happen? It, It can happen. If Lot stayed in Sodom, would he be alive or dead? Yet the scripture calls him righteous Lot. The city that came on the judgment would have come on him. That's why he had to leave the city. Okay? And so God's judgment was coming on Jerusalem. And even if God's people could not go, we're all going to camp out and we're going to pray. And we're going to camp out all night at our church in downtown Jerusalem. And we're going to pray and everything's going to be okay. Do you think everything would be okay? Do you think if they decide not to listen and not to get out that they were going to die? And he was telling them you need to get out of the city. You need to listen. You need to get away because when God's judgment coming, every some people a lot of people are going to die and you might be some of those people. Get out. Get out. Get out. Okay. I have to stop. Maybe we'll talk more about it next week because there's a lot more in the scripture. You know, where do they get the idea of the rapture? What does it mean? What does the scripture mean when it says In 1 Thessalonians, you know, the Lord shall descend with a shout, and you know, and and the we which, you know, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise, and they which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air, right? This is the way I explain this to my children. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, that talks about the baptism for the dead. How many know this scripture? It says, you know, if 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 this and this, then why do we baptize for the dead? And you go, what? Like you're reading and you're like, what? Ooh, I don't even know what that is. Well, the Mormons do. The Mormons have this doctrine, Marie, where if your loved one didn't get saved, you can go down to the church and get baptized on their behalf, and now they, they're, they're saved. It's kind of like, like during the time of the Catholic Church. Remember, they could give money, and they could get their loved ones brought out of you know judgment? So people have come up with this doctrine. So there's a way where you can inoculate yourself against getting caught up in foolishness like that, Because if what you find in the Bible, if you find a scripture that seems to say something different than the entire rest of the Bible, then you might understand it wrong. Okay? So, this is a a saying we we used to catechize with around here. If it's not in all of the Bible, it's not in the Bible at all. Okay? You're not going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians and get a half of a verse somewhere, Derek, and all of a sudden there's a new doctrine that's just brought up out of the blue, not in any epistle, not in the teachings of Jesus, not in the Old Testament that we now governs our life. There are no such rules like that in the Bible, okay? So when you come upon a rule like that, go, you know what, I think I probably am not understanding the Bible, let's look at what Jesus is saying, okay? So we don't baptize for the dead, okay? And when we get to 1 Corinthians, or when we get to 1 Thessalonians, and it talks about this, and this idea of being caught away and flying up to heaven is in there, are we understanding it right? When we read further in Matthew 24, and, and it talks about Jesus coming in the clouds, could we, what, what, what could this possibly mean? And then when we find out that the coming in the clouds was, when you saw an army coming from you know, 10 miles away, what would you see around an army of 5,000 men? What would you see surrounding them? You would see a cloud of dust. Why? Because they're marching and there's 5,000 men and this giant cloud is coming and they're coming on a cloud and they're going to get you. And throughout the entire Old Testament, the imagery of the coming of the Lord on the clouds was about a cloud of army coming to bring devastation and judgment. You can read about it through the Old Testament, the coming of the Lord. I read about it in the Psalms, the coming of the Lord, coming in the clouds, the coming of the Lord, the clouds of judgment. Okay, A lot of its imagery, a lot of it, is, uh, we, it needs to be understood that way. But the bottom line is, is that God has called us to be seeking first the kingdom of God. And the question to ask yourself today as we leave today, rather than being worried that the end of the world is coming, rather than be worried about the great tribulation, rather be worried that we need to buy meals to hide in our basement in case doomsday happens to come, maybe what we should be doing is seeking first the kingdom of God, not worrying about what we eat and what we wear and where we live so much, but worrying about the kingdom of God and how... We can serve and facilitate the coming of the kingdom. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, Yeah. Andy wasn't here today, so I decided to preach two hours. You know, just, just get it all out, you know. Just joking around. All right. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us this great subject, Lord. So many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and our relatives, Lord, they are... Confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to live because they believe Your Word teaches. what. It really seems clear to me today that the Word is not teaching. That what You were talking about in Matthew 24 was about what was happening to them in their day. And Lord, if we could just share this message of hope, if we could share this message of victory instead of fear. Lord, You've not given us the spirit of fear. And so many people today live in fear of this impending doom they feel hanging over their head but lord we've been hearing about it for 20 30 40 100 years even some people for hundreds of years have been talking about it but it seems to not come we know it's not coming your word says it came that judgment was poured out on that generation this generation didn't pass before those came things came to pass and lord we are in the time of your blessing and your expansion we will experience difficulty but we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said. Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinet of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.